We are back for another episode of the Dirty Jersey Podcast. It's been a couple weeks, but I'm amped to be back with you guys on the show. Uh, my name is Zach Anderson, of course, joined by Tyler Pepersina and Aaron Parker. We have a lot of topics to get to today. We had a lot of stuff go on in baseball, some controversial stuff, some big moments, some history, and even West Virginia baseball got ranked top 10 in the country as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we have, we have a lot to go through. And you know... Uh, uh, I'm ready to jump in. What do you guys think? Absolutely. There's been a lot. We've uh, took a week off, so we've missed a lot, especially with the Mountaineers. Also missed a lot of MLB topics. So let's get going. So, uh, like you said, we're going to talk about WVU first. Uh, get them out of the way, of course, because I don't think we can walk past this team and not acknowledge what they've done before yesterday's game. Uh, before yesterday's game, they lost to Texas 12-2 to yesterday in the opening game of the series. But they have risen the number six in the country in the rankings. D1 Baseball has them actually hosting a regional in Morgantown uh, with Tennessee, Notre Dame, and Ryder in that regional. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a cool mark for the team. And um, uh, that D1 Baseball has the number six overall in the country hosting a regional. And, uh, uh, but I want to I wanna, that, – that's the, that's the precursor. Now I want to get into yesterday because yesterday is – from what we've seen from this team, it's kind of a fluke. Um, and there's some things that we wanted to talk about because uh, maybe some questionable decisions. Aaron said he has a theory, so I'm, I'll be interested to hear that. But um, yesterday, West, West Virginia lost 12-2. to And Carson Estridge, the freshman pitcher for West Virginia, was on the bump. So, Aaron, I want to go to you first. Um, what do you think the reasoning for head coach Manny Mazie is behind that decision on a Friday night Big 12 series? Well, it was a little different. I mean, it was a th- it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series as opposed to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, That's what I meant, Thursday. Sorry. Yeah, but at the same time, I thought Maisie would treat it like a normal series. It's the last series of the season. You need one win to share the Big 12 regular season title. You need two to win outright and, and win it individually. So I didn't think Estridge would be on the mound. It surprised me when I saw that last night. Um, but this team, right after this Texas series in Austin, is going to Arlington to play the Big 12 tournament. Um, so I guess what I'm thinking is the most reasonable thing is if you go out there and throw Estridge, who has been good on the midweek starts against Pitt as of late, give him a try, and then when you need – like he'll probably go Traxel today um, and probably go Hampton on the, the next day after that. But I think the arms will be a little bit more fresh for Arlington because last year in the Big 12 tournament, WV went down there. Um, and lost both of their games and missed or even showing up in the regional because of that. So I think Maisie wants to really um, bounce back from that and really treat Arlington like a, a big opportunity to, to win a Big 12 tournament championship as well as the regular season tournament. I, that's a good point. I didn't think of that because, I mean, the Big 12 tournament's going to be big for West Virginia, I think. I wrote down, I'm going to ask you guys about this later, but the, how important the Big 12 tourney could be for this team to really – cement itself in the national headlines because it already has a little bit. Um, but I mean, to really cement that hosting a regional spot, um, they will have to win some games in the big 12 tournament. I think, uh, I mean, I know they're number six right now, but uh, I still think that that's going to be something they're going to need to do. Uh, so I want to talk about some awards as well. Um, it's a little bit of a segue in the middle of this uh, section we're talking about, but Last week, J.J. Weatherholt won Co-Big 12 Player of the Week and Perfect Game Player of the Week, which is national. 
And uh, Tevin Tucker was also named a Brooks Wallace Award semifinalist for the best shortstop in the nation. So congratulations to both of them. They have been absolutely electric, of course, both of them for the West Virginia. They've been a big reason, I think, to the success of this team, both on the field, uh, both in the field and in the batter's box. Yeah, I mean, it's getting to the point where I'm actually kind of getting – this is a joke, but I'm getting sick of talking about J.J. Weatherholt um, <laughs> because, you know, it's at this point it's just like he, he clearly is unstoppable and it's good to hear that. Um, I, don't, I don't know the name of the, um, the radio station at all, uh, but I saw – I know it's hosted by Tony Curry and another guy. Um, I think it's through Metro News. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, we got for the game. Hmm? What is it? Three guys before the game with Tony oh, Green, okay. Brad Howe, and, um, and Hunter Kirchival. Yeah, because they, they talked to him, and they are like, hey, you know, are you going to come back and whatnot? And he's like, yeah, you know, I have no reason to leave. So um, as of right now, it seems like he's going to stay, which is huge, and you only hope that um, now – to repeat this kind of season is a lot to ask for, and I'm not asking for that, but you just kind of hope that he still has an amazing uh, season next year. But what he's doing right now is um, unbelievable, and it's uh, definitely, like you said, Zach, a huge part why WVU is number six in the country. I think what's even cooler about J.J., you just said that J.J. was talking about staying here in West Virginia. I think the coolest part is that he is, I don't want to say hometown kid, but he's definitely nearby. And um, he's born, he's grown here. I, I mean that as a player, uh, because we recruited him all the way through. He came in here as a freshman, started playing a lot more last season, and now he's really grown into the player we've seen and probably an, an MLB top 10 prospect next season. I mean, I know we talked about that on the show before, uh, but he'll definitely be an MLB prospect next season easily. So yeah. it's just it's just been great to see him grow. That's the point I'm trying to get at. Absolutely. Uh, me personally, I'm I'm not tired of talking about him. He's just he's he's so fun to watch. Um, he's the only player in the country. The the Mountaineer baseball um, social media pages came out with this yesterday. He's the only player in the nation in America to be top ten in all of these statistical categories. Batting average, he's first. We know that um, on pace to to win. He passed Dylan Cruz recently, actually. Cruz right? is third now. That Nolan um, Nolan something guy from Fort Atlantic is two, but he's still a few points behind JJ. JJ's fifth in the nation in slugging percentage. He's second in hits with 91. And he's seventh in OBP on base. 91 plus hits, man. Fifth in stolen bases. He's versatile and and seventh in the nation in total bases. This kid is just unbelievable to watch, and it's so cool to see him do that as an underclassman. And Tyler, like your point on three guys before the game with Metro News, he did say that he has no reason to leave. He wants to finish his career here. Um, and he, he's, he said he wasn't even sure why all that stuff, why that buzz is out there. Um, but in the NL, NIL, you know, age of college sports, it's going to be just naturally. Um, but he's so fun to watch. I love the way that he hits the ball opposite field. I mean, he did it um, in the rubber match against Oklahoma. He did it in the rubber match against Texas Tech in which the Mountaineers needed that Sunday game. He hits the ball over the left field wall. And on that, if you listen to that interview, he just talks about how that's his natural swing. Um, and it's honestly harder for him to pull the ball. And that's just incredible. Yeah, he's just been simply incredible. I mean, when you look at his game, he can hit the ball anywhere. I wouldn't say that he can't pull the ball because we've seen him hit the ball in every part of the field. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Against Baylor, uh, two games against Baylor, 
um, and the the pit road game, he had absolute tanks that he pulled the right field. I mean, he can do it. Yeah. I think he had to work a little harder for it. I remember those, but I specifically remember a game that I was calling for U92, the Moose, uh, where <laughs> JJ hit into the shift. Like, they had a shift on him across the second base line. They had three infielders between second and first base, and he hit right into it, hit right past him. I mean, it's just stuff like that. It's crazy. I just don't understand. Uh, I don't understand. They've been doing it. I watched them um, some freshman highlights last um, yesterday um, against Kansas State from last year, where the Mountaineers won that series, um, and series from this year that I've watched. People shift him, and like he's he's a natural opposite field hitter, and I just don't understand why they shift him. Um, but I don't understand that game plan. Yeah, I don't either. And you know, uh, I, I'm going to shift back to the Texas game because um, I. I uh, wanted to say it's just that Texas game yesterday. So I followed the stats. I was working for the Washington Wild thing, so I didn't really get a chance to watch the game. And it was on Longhorn Network, which is I'm so glad Texas is leaving the Big 12. Screw Longhorn Network. That's so yeah, dumb. They, they can't get out fast enough. <laughs> but uh, it was just a weird game because you play two freshmen at the start, and then you throw in Grant Siegel in there too. And it was just a, it was just kind of a, I don't know, like a give up. Like it was like a give up kind of thing at the end. Because I saw where Nick Barone played and Evan Smith played. And I know it was a blowout, but I feel like, I don't know. It kind of made me upset that that Maisie didn't take more like take more of a serious approach on this first game of the series. I know you said that he kind of maybe associated it to a midweek game, Aaron. But um, I don't know. I just feel like he should have um, not laid back on a, on, a, on a series this important in the season. Yeah, you never want to see a team lay down and quit. I was watching until when when Max Yell came in um, after Estridge couldn't really find the strike zone, gave up a, a two-run single to make it 3 nothing in the second. Yell came in, can't find the strike zone, and once he did find the strike zone, it was a three-run home run by that one guy who hit three home runs yesterday. At that point, I turned it off. So once it got to 6 nothing, 8 nothing, you know, if it's 8 yeah. nothing. Fifth inning, I could see punting it a little bit, but you don't want to see them lay down. But I think I think Randy Mazie said this in one of his post games, and this is kind of going back towards the Texas Tech series. So you lose that first game. He said good teams come back and respond, and they win that next game to even the series. Great teams win that game and then carry it over into the third game. So like the Texas Tech series, they lose game one. Game two, they come out and win 17-2. to two. It was so easy for them to win that game. It was their day. But good teams do that. Great teams come back and have that performance after 17-2 and win the rubber match. So WVU has a chance to do that. It's going to be really, really tough because I do think Texas is good. They only have like 18 or 19 losses. They should probably be ranked. So to get two out of three is going to be tough at this point when you've already got killed in the first one. Um, But, yeah, you don't want to see a team punt a game like that. But hopefully reinforcements are on the way with tracks on Hampton. That's a good point. You know, I – I guess I, I want to switch uh, a little bit into the wide scope of this series and the upcoming postseason for West Virginia because, first of all, I want to look at the regional that D1 Baseball has plucked us into as of right now, which includes Tennessee, Notre Dame, and Ryder, which I'm like, whenever I first read that, I was like, that's kind of a tough region. I mean, we've had trouble with Ryder in Morgantown in the past, just as early as last season, because... Um, we beat them, what was it, in extras? Three to two last season, right? 
Uh, Grant Hussey had a walk off. That was the first walk game. Off. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know if it went to extras, but it was it was a tight game at, at the end. It was a tight game against Ryder, and then Tennessee is of course a very well known baseball school. I don't know much about Notre Dame, but I guess I just want to get your guys' opinion on the region as a whole, what we've been set into as of right now. Yeah, I'll go quick and give it over to you, Tyler, because I don't know much about the whole college baseball like landscape, but obviously Tennessee yeah. had that work year last year they won 50 plus games it was ridiculous and they got upset by notre dame in the tournament in the in the either regions or super region. and they're but both if, in our region what the heck is that, this that would be crazy if those two are both in um tower you can probably have a little bit more insight but i know notre, notre dame is the team that took down tennessee last year well i mean when you anytime you got to face an sec team when you're not in the sec you know that SEC is the cream of the crop for baseball, and it's been like that for a while. And Tennessee is one of the um, has been one of the top teams in there. Um, same thing with um, with Notre Dame, like you said. Those are two very uh, good teams, and um, I understand that we have a good team too. But those are two teams that I would definitely keep an eye out. Now, on the going back to what Zach said about you know Ryder, how we had um, kind of a little bit of a tough. Uh, go with them. I, I mean, I don't think that's going to be the case this time around. That was a completely different team. This is a completely different team. So, um, in in terms of facing Ryder, I, I think we'll be okay. But then again, it's baseball. Who knows what could happen? But um, that, the, those two teams right there, that's going to be extremely tough, but also fun to watch. Um, I'm not saying anything bad that we can't beat them or whatnot, but it's definitely not going to be you know, a piece of cake. So. It's definitely one of the tougher regions I saw whenever I was scrolling through in terms yeah. of history and our history as Ryder. But, you know, I have a que- I have a question for you guys because I'm not super familiar with how um, NCAA baseball postseason works. So how, when, once, you, do you, once you win your region, where do you go from there? You go to super regionals, right? Yeah, super regionals. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you, um, at the, the, the time that the regional – happens if you win and you're like a I think it's a top eight seed you have to be a certain seed and then you can actually host a super regional so let's say like we absolutely kill our regional we could host a super regional and then if you win that then it's on the um the college world series yeah and that's that's been some buzz with this wb team i think i think it's getting a little ahead of itself because there's so much work to be done and there's so many teams to play at this point you got your big 12 tournament and regionals, it's so hard. Even when that 2019 team hosted with WVU, they didn't even get out of that region. So, But they have talked about it, where WVU is number six. If they were to finish strong and host a regional, and then if they could come out of that regional, if you're a top eight team and they want you to host it, then you would, you would host a super regional. And if you get past super regionals, which would be just another region of another four teams, but those four teams have all advanced. Once you get past super regionals, it's it's on to Omaha, and I believe there's what eight teams that go to Omaha. Is it? That, yeah, eight, Omaha. I believe. Okay, yeah. so the College World Series is eight teams, and that so, would just be uncharted ground for WVU, obviously. So in the in the first regional, the one that WVU would be hosting in Morgantown if the season ended right now, is it like a four team bracket, like yeah. one versus four, two versus three, and then yeah. Um. So the regional in that 2019 team was like. Uh, WVU, obviously, we hosted Duke, 
and Duke is really, really good this year. Texas A&M, they're the one that eliminated WVU. And then there was a small school, Fordham, I believe. Fordham, Fordham yeah. The Fordham game is the one that – there was the previous attendance record at Mon County Ballpark. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's four teams. There's usually, um, you know, a mid-major school that have that has excelled in there. And then you might be stuck with, with two other Power 5 teams in there. It, it just depends on the location and the bracket. Well, I learned something new today, but I, I want to move into the last part of our WVU segment. Um, so, as a whole, um, let's—I don't—I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to change. I wrote down something different in my notes. I wrote down if WVU got swept, but let's just say if WVU lost two out of three uh, against Texas or whatever it may be, and then lost that share of the Big Twelve title or had to share it with Oklahoma State um, in that situation. Uh, do you think? Reeling and the best part of the, the most important part of the season would be bad for West Virginia in the postseason status. I, I just wanted to hear you guys' opinion on that because that was something that was going through my head last night watching the the stats. I mean, I don't want us to end on a poor streak. So, yeah, well, well, I don't. You know, you lose these next two games and then you um, don't play well at all in the Big Twelve tournament. You're probably probably not going to host a, a a regional at all. You know, you. Right now, you have to do your best to play above 500 ball for these last two games against Texas. And I'm not saying you got to win the Big 12 tournament, but you have to make a very deep run. You have to prove that you can be a top three team um, in the Big uh, in the Big 12. You can't just kind of like fizzle out here. It's not it's not good. Um, but they are in pretty good standing overall. So if you lose. You know, a couple, you know, I don't think that'll hurt, but if you really, you know, just disappear here at the end, I don't know what to say. And that's kind of the thought that was going through my head. It's like, if you're West Virginia and you're on this streak, you know, you've won, what do they won, 39 games, if I'm right, now, you're on this, you've won 39 games this season, you can't just be reeling in the best part, in the most important part of the season for your team. So, um, yeah, that was my opinion on it. Aaron, what do you got for that? Yeah, yeah, you don't want to – you want to finish strong, obviously, and and, yeah, and winning that Big 12 regular season title is is so important. It's so, such a big accomplishment for this university, uh, for where this baseball program was. Uh, to win it outright would be special, but, you know, it's going to take – you're going to have to win two of two at Texas, and I just don't think that's going to happen. I do think they are going to get one and split it. And at the end of the day, that's that's okay. Um, but you got to get one and then play well in Arlington. So if, as of right now, WVU is the number one team in the Big 12, they would get that first game in Arlington against Kansas, who is – so there's only nine teams in the Big 12 because Iowa State does not have a program. There's only eight that go to Arlington. So Baylor is by far the worst team. They are not going. They did not get invited. So the worst team in the tournament is Kansas. And that's going to be a little bit of a redemption story for the Mountaineers. They're only – Series loss of the year, Big 12 series loss, is to Kansas at home, which is wild to think about. They Such went, a weird series that was. Yeah, they went to Oklahoma State, a ranked Oklahoma State team, two out of three in Stillwater, swept TCU, beat a really good Texas Tech team when their backs against were against the wall. They beat Oklahoma um, when it came down to the rubber match. So Kansas was the only one that they let get away. They would start with Kansas, and from there they would – that you got to win that one if you want to host a regional because you don't want that loss on your resume. Your RPI gets knocked back a little bit, and then hopefully they could do damage in game two against, say, a, a team like TCU or maybe 
you might maybe have to face Texas Tech or Oklahoma again. But you don't, you, you can't, you can't finish this series strong and then go zero two down there. Um, or honestly, I don't think. I think you need to win more more than one game against than just Kansas because Kansas is pretty. Um, they're not very good nationally. So you guys kind of touched on this a little bit, but I want to use this to wrap up our WVU segment. Uh, I think it's different than last season when it comes to the Big 12 tournament for this team because I feel like the Big 12 tournament was the avenue to get into the NCAA tournament last season. But this year I think it's flipped where it's like I think the Big 12 tournament is an avenue to host a regional, but I do not think that it is a make or break to make the NCAA tournament at this point. That's just my opinion. Um, obviously the team is most likely locked in to the NCAAs, even if it's not regardless of hosting a regional. But I guess the question I want to wrap up with is how important is this Big 12 tournament? Because you guys have touched on it a little bit, but truly how can it define the rest of the season, you think? And Tyler, you can go ahead first if you want. Well, I mean, like you said, it's not like you if we don't win a game in the Big 12 tournament, we're done for. That's not the case. Uh, so we could breathe a little bit knowing that. But mm-hmm. the the big thing is right now is just the fact if you want to host a regional, you got to play well here. Um, but let's just say the worst case scenario, we don't host a regional. We're it's right now we're the number six team in the country. There's no way that we're getting booted from the college playoffs. Though, do playing if you play poorly, if you play well, I think you know you're still in it, and um, that should be comforting. But like we've said before, that this is the best that we've ever seen this team do. So you just really, really want them to play well, so you can say, hey, you know, this team did it. This team hosted a regional, and um, we're proud of them. And let's see what happens. You know, I just feel like watching WVU sports, we're never used to being a lock for anything. Is that what Aaron's about to say? We're never Absolutely. used to being a lock for anything. We're always on the bubble. We're always on the bubble of the NCAA basketball tournament. We're always a bubble bowl team in football, at least the last few seasons. Yeah. And now it's kind of weird to feel a little bit of security when it comes to the baseball team. You do have that security. You could, you could, this team could get swept by Texas and go 0 2 in Big 12s, and they're still going to make a regional. Um, but you're number six in the country at this point in the season. They've done so much damage. It would take a pretty – it would be a choke job to not host a regional. But I'm not saying it's impossible. We're WVU fans. We know. The end of the season, end of games, there's been plenty of choke jobs in our childhood slash teenage years and all that stuff. So Even when we were babies. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to take it would it would take getting swept by Texas and having a, a poor poor showing in Big 12s where because ho- hosting a regional it's what the top 16 teams or something like that assuming mm-hmm. they can you know assuming the NCA clears them um, to host because the Mountaineers are, are number six right now so it would take a pretty epic choke um, but you know I think they can do it I think they'll take one out of out of three from Texas and I think they'll win two or more games in Arlington. But like like you guys said last year, I mean, that team last year was good. They, I think they set a record at the time for most Big 12 wins in our program's history. They finished the regular season with a sweep against Kansas State. They basically needed to win one game in Arlington. They could have gone one and three in Arlington, and they would have made a regional, and they go 0-2. They faced Oklahoma, who ended up making the College World Series finals, but then they lost to Kansas State, who they just swept. Um, so last year was a bit of a choke job as well. 
Um, yeah. Very different implications this year. This year, it's you want to finish strong. This year, you want to host a regional, um, and you want that Big 12 title to put in the shelf case because there's not much in there right now. Um, and this is the most special team that WV baseball has ever seen. So you got to you got to finish strong, and you got to win a trophy with this with this team. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, so West Virginia will be on the road at Texas tonight, of course, and tomorrow night. So make sure, or tomorrow afternoon, I should say. So make sure if you guys are able to tune into that. Uh, but now we are going to shift into our MLB storylines for today. And I'm really glad that this happened this week, this controversial topic for us to talk about, because I feel like it's the only thing I've seen on my Twitter feed, like especially early this week. Um, and I'm talking about the Aaron Judge eyeing over at the dugout, whatever it may be, incident that happened uh, earlier this week against the Blue Jays. Because I've seen so many different point of views. And I Obviously, you guys will get your opinion on this as well. But I've heard so many point of views about, oh, he's stealing signs, he's cheating, he's trying to look at the catcher's stance in the, in the, in the backstop. And it's like, that one's dumb because he can't even see. But we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, I want to hear you guys' opinion on this because it was controversial. I've been hearing about it all over Twitter. So um, what do you think the reasoning was? I know Judge gave an explanation after the game, and I'll talk about that after. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think of, of this thing that's been going on around the MOB a lot this week? Well, um, uh, here's the thing. Blue Jays fans are very upset because, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to be biased. I'm not saying this because I'm a Yankees fan, but if you look at the numbers, Aaron Judge is quite literally the, uh, the, uh, Blue Jays father. He is. There, I, I, I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous the numbers that he puts up against them, and I think I saw to that even too. To, to even think that like he would attempt to do something like that is absolutely ridiculous. And I understand that the sequence of events, you know, it it, it makes it feel like oh, you know, oh, it could have happened or whatnot with the whole side eye, and then immediately after. You know, he hits a home run, but then because the the thing was like, oh, he he gave the side eye, and then immediately right after he hit a home run, I'll explain that to me. Well, the thing is like, the pitch, if you watched it at all, was a slider right down the middle. And last season, he had sixty two home runs. You you really don't think that if you're gonna hang a slider to Aaron Judge, he's not gonna hit a home run? I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, um, I just he's not the kind of guy to do that, and I understand that. The Yankees do have a little bit of it, not a little bit, but a, a good history with cheating. But this was blown way out of proportion, and I just think it's a bunch of salty Blue Jays fans. That's all I think. <laughs> um, hey, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's any um, cheating going on here or um, wrongdoing by Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge has, has proven to be a clean player, a very talented player, a very powerful player, and like you said, the Blue Jays. Uh, very literal father. I mean, he's batting 290 against the Blue Jays with 32 homers, 65 ribbies, and 64 runs scored in only 102 games against Toronto. He's only been in the league since 17. That team, he just kills. And he he kills them, especially in the Rogers Center. I mean, he kills them in Yankee Stadium, too. But he make, makes the Rogers Center look like his own little backyard. Um, but, you know, the one thing, I, I do respect Judge. And I, I honestly don't think he did anything wrong. I think he was just eyeing at the dugout. Um, but I don't think 
with MLB players or professionals in general, you can't really say, oh, he's not the type of guy that do that that would do that because we just never know because we've rooted for players before and we thought they were clean um, and they turned out to, to do something wrong. Me personally, I like Aaron Judge even as a Red Sox fan. I think he's completely clean here. I think he's just one of the most talented players in the game. Um, but I've, I've learned not to be so naive to think, you know, oh, he can't do this. He wouldn't cheat. He would never. Now, the only thing I will say to uh, put blame on Aaron Judge is the times that we live in right now with baseball and you know, sign, sign uh, stealing and whatnot, um, the way that he went about it wasn't the best. I mean, if you got to talk to your players after the at-bat, just go and talk to them. You shouldn't shouldn't be side-eyeing during the middle of that. I mean, I don't know what was going through his head there. That, like, it did look sketchy. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, what are you doing, man? And, I mean, he was in his stance and everything. Like, he was back yeah, with the bat, man. looking at the pitcher, weird. and then he just looks over with his eyes. It was, it was, yeah. it was odd at first. You, you, can't, you can't be doing that now. I mean, if you got something to say to your team, just wait until your at-bat is done and the inning is over. But, I mean, so, it was a very interesting choice. Yeah. So what Tyler's referring to is after the game, Judge was interviewed, of course, and asked about the, the side eye. And he said that it was because of his teammates chirping from the dugout uh, during a 6-0 game, and he didn't like that. And to Tyler's point, he really should have just taken that up with them after the game. I don't know why, what goes to your head to to, to do it then. I, I, Aaron, you got something to say? Sorry. No, not really. I think you make a good point. I was just going to add that, you know, Aside from Aaron Judge, you guys, the, the Yankees do have a real cheater in Domingo Herman. <laughs> probably weren't that from Garrett Cole, for being honest. But. Sorry, that, that was not cheating. Man. That, you know, he Did has, you see that from Herman? I understand that, but like he, he I don't, and I'm, I didn't know that the MLB allows it, but if you see like the video from like wiping his hands and whatnot, that looks like spitting tobacco. And I understand yeah. that maybe he was using it for advantage but i'm pretty sure i looked into it like on twitter and whatnot there was like zero difference in the spin rate of his pitches so i just i I truly think that there was nothing going on there he was just um using chewing tobacco which uh, seems kind of strange i'm gonna need a source on that one i'm I'm not really buying (laughs) that one have you you, have you seen the video though if i'm like wiping yeah i have it it looked it looked like it looked like something that is used to put on balls to change the spin rate. Now, maybe the, t- the spin rate didn't change, maybe because he's just not that good. I, I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, it goes like, – <laughs> Domingo Herman. I mean, I'm going to need to see a little bit more out of him without the sticky stuff. I, I understand that, but, like, if he's going to use the uh, – I don't care how bad of a pitch you are. If you actually use that, you know, the sticky stuff or whatever it is, you're going to see it. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you're going to use it, there's going to be some sort of a difference, and there, there really wasn't. So I, I really don't think mm-hmm. there was anything there. I really Do you remember that one time with – it was a few years back. I think it was Severino. He had stuff on his neck. And he would, he would uh, go to his neck and put the tar on, it, on his pitch and stuff like that. Uh, that I one mean, was the more, classic is like the hat bill, right? I Well, the – the neck one with Severino was against the Red Sox. That was the most egregious one. But, yeah, I mean, this year's a little bit different with all that stuff. I think the, the biggest one for me wasn't Herman. Was the biggest storyline was a few weeks ago with Scherzer. I mean, the, he, he was he's, he was convinced. He, he put in his post-game interview, he said, he said something weird. He said something out of left field, like, I swear on my children's grave or something like that, that it was sweat and rosin bag, sweat combined with rosin. 
Um, I think that was the biggest storyline when it comes to ejections and, and mm-hmm. you know sticky stuff and stuff like that. But so I just heard about the Herman incident today. Did, is he getting suspended or anything, or is it just was it just yeah. like one game ejection? Or he, yeah. So, so here's here's the funny thing. Okay, I'm sitting in the uh, control room at work, and I got Herman pitching for me, and he's got like 13 fantasy points. And then my one of my uh, coworkers is like, yo. I mean, Vaughn just got ejected. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And it's like, yeah, he just got caught using sticky stuff. He'll be out for 10 days. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is like, <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the, the rule, the standard procedure is you get tossed and you get an automatic 10-game suspension. That's what Scherzer got, and he was going to appeal at first. But then he, I think he withdrew that, and you have to serve a 10-game suspension from there. But you're only missing, whatever, one or two starts. You know, uh, Tyler, talking about fantasy, you want to inform the listeners on what trade you just accepted in our league? Yeah, I don't even know who. I don't even know who the guy is, but he was very, <laughs> he was very persistent on getting Nathan Navaldi for me, and Nathan Navaldi has been very good. I mean, he's probably been top 10, 15 pitcher in the league, and I mean, we went through like this is probably the fourth, fifth trade that he's proposed to me, um, and I mean. The ones before were like, eh, they were okay. But then, um, yes, was it yesterday, I think? Yesterday, two days ago, he proposed that he's going to give me Mike Trout and David Robinson, who is on the, the Mets, and he's probably been one of the better relief pitchers in baseball. And, I mean, a two-for-one. That's ridiculous. A two-for-one, a, a two <laughs> and now I have, if you look at my team, I mean, it's like an all-star team. It's ridiculous. It doesn't matter, well, though. I'm only yeah. six. Can and, then own, and then your own six, yeah. <laughs> the the yeah. fact that it was a two-for-one, but on the two side with Mike Trout is just insane to me. Yeah. Like, I, this, has turned, yeah. this has turned into a fantasy baseball podcast, and that that, that is just that's absurd. I, I told that to a couple people in my family yesterday, and they couldn't believe that – let alone Evaldi for Trout. A two-for-one where Evaldi's the only one you give up is just wild. So well, for all the listeners out there, oh, go ahead. Well, because I was, well, I was worried because he proposed trades to me before, um, and um, I think one of them I accepted because I forget what it was exactly. It wasn't that bad. But he, because you have the ability to back out on the trade, so he did that before, and I was like, I really hope he doesn't do it this time around, and he didn't, so... I was going to say to all the listeners out there, none of us really have a great record in our league right now. Tyler is 0-6. Aaron is 1-5, right? I'm 1-5. It's ridiculous. Every and then I'm 3-3, but that's not great either. Every time I face somebody, they, they have these, like, gym pitch. Like, when, I, when Michael Walker had a no-hitter into the eighth, I faced him <laughs> at some point. Every time Gossman deals, he, he would go against me. I just made a trade myself. I traded Salvador Perez for Nestor Cortez. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Pitching is such – in our league, pitching is such a premium. Wins, strikeouts is such a premium. And I have both Adelie Rushman and Salvador Perez. In our league, you don't need two catchers. Um, so I needed the extra pitching. I wanted somebody to sell low on Cortez because he hasn't had a great season. But he came back and pitched well against Toronto yesterday. I faced off against uh, Mitch Keller. Shout out to Ryan Darty, our friend. I faced off uh, against Mitch Keller against Ryan last week. And he had 43 points. It, just, it was just ridiculous. Right, he can't do anything – Mitch Keller has been outstanding. West Virginia power legend. Of course. All right. On to the next topic. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, to finish up the judge thing, uh, I don't believe he was cheating either. I know that that, that seems really we – we got really far off track. But uh, I don't believe he was cheating either. I guess 
he just was taking care of something, trying to give them a dirty look during an at-bat. I don't know. It was just a weird situation. But he did get a new hit celebration out of it, which I thought was kind of funny, where he was covering his eyes and <laughs> doing something with his hand. It was kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, that, that that's it for that. Um, next thing, I just want to do a, a quick shout-out. I know Freddie Freeman's not going to listen to the show, but he hit home run number 300 yesterday against St. Louis. And it was a grand slam to actually bring the game within one at nine to eight. The Cardinals ended up winning 16 to eight, but now Freddie's a member of the 300 home run club. That's awesome. He is, um, he's one of my favorite players to watch in this game. He's been doing it for 10 plus years. Um, very respectable player, a uh, family dude. He's got a couple of kids, a really cute little boy that likes to play baseball with him in the backyard when Freddie um, is in the off season or, or at home for a little bit. So, um, he, he's a he's he's a cool player to root for. Three hundred is a big milestone, and um, you know, if the longevity is there, maybe a, maybe a future Hall of Famer. Um, he's got that World Series ring now that he was pretty all elusive for him during his Braves days. Obviously, he went to the Dodgers. wasn't my favorite move, but uh, he's a heck of a player. And him paired with Mookie Betts is is always fun to watch. He doesn't. The, the the cool thing too about him is he doesn't look like. The kind of hitter he is, if you know what I mean, he's like this big. I mean, he's a big guy, you know. He's this big lefty. He's tall and lanky. He's yeah. tall and lanky, and I don't know. Just like he just seems like the guy who just hit like I don't know thirty, forty bombs a year and hit like two ten or whatnot. But he hits for average. Yeah. He sprays the ball everywhere, and he's such a crucial part um, to wherever he plays. So good for him. We saw him in Pittsburgh in person. Uh... Um, a couple last month, and he's just like a looks like a tall grasshopper out there. Man, is so tall, and uh, uh, he's got a really a really smooth swing. One of my one of the best you'll see in baseball. So uh, he hit a ball. Uh, he hit a ball. I thought was headed for the Allegheny River. Uh, that game yeah. was uh, whatever six or seven to nothing. I thought that ball went in the river, and then we looked over, and two seconds later, somebody threw it back on the field. Why would you ever throw a Freddie Freeman home run ball back <laughs> on the field? I, that's beyond me. And, you know, at that point, he probably wasn't that far off from 300. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't have got 300 that night, but I think he was at, like, 296 or 295. Yeah, that's like 296, or something like that. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. Anyways, uh, we talked a lot about pitching a minute ago, so I want to move into the Cy Young polls that the MLB just released as of yesterday, I believe. And, you know, I'm going to go through the NL and the AL, of course. There's a top five polls for each uh, league. And I'm going to go through each league, and then we'll talk about where each person's placed, what we think of uh, of the polls so far. So first, I'm going to go to the NL. I'll just go through the five real quick, and then we'll talk more about it. So Zach Gallen leads the NL polls. Um, he is 6-1, 2.35 ERA. He has been great for the uh, Diamondbacks. He, had, he went on a streak. I think it was like... 25 or 26 uh, scoreless innings. It might have been more than that. Uh, it was a, He had a great stretch there. Uh, at the two spot is Spencer Strider for the Braves, of course. He, he leads the MLB in, in strikeouts with 86. It's not even close to second place. Uh, Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers comes in at third. Mitch Keller will be fourth for the Pirates, which he's really been the lone bright spot, but we'll talk about them more later. He has the fifth most strikeouts in the league with 69. And then to round out the NL top five is Justin Steele for the Chicago Cubs. He has a six and one record, two point four four ERA. So uh, it's a good group. I think I, I like these rankings. I think they're they're pretty well. Uh, they or they look pretty well. Um, I'm just I think 
the, the big thing that everybody's going to be talking about is Gallon over Strider because a lot of people think Strider has been better, but he has a 2.96 ERA. And I think I think him being in the two spot for the strikeouts alone is a good spot for him. I, I want to hear you guys' opinion on that. Yeah, I do think so. I I really like Zach Gallon. And, and I like Strider too. Strider is just unbelievable with, with strikeouts, punch outs. Um, and the consistent consistency at which he, he punches guys out is ridiculous. Three games this year with 10 plus strikeouts. And then he had four games straight with nine strikeouts teetering on that 10 mark. But Zach Gallon, I mean, he's six and one with a team like the Diamondbacks is very impressive. I mean, I know they're not awful this year, but that's not a historically competitive franchise right there. Six and one, 235 ERA with 70 strikeouts, three games with 11 plus strikeouts. And um, as opposed to some of the the trends of today's pitching, he actually goes deep in the game for the most part. He's gone at least seven innings in four of his however many starts, probably only like nine or 10 starts. I think it's really impressive what he's doing. Um, and it's a really fun battle to watch between him and Strider. I know we'll, we'll get into the AL here in a minute, but I think that's more of a fun battle to watch as opposed to the AL. The AL is probably Colin McClanahan at this point. You know, AP, uh, thinking about uh, Arizona sports, man, they got it rough. I, I just want that's a, a little tidbit, but I mean, the, the, Cardinal, the uh, Cardinals, the, Coyotes. the hockey team, the Coyotes. The, yeah, And the yeah. Coyotes, they, they were trying to build a new arena, and it came out this past week that, that – it got disapproved, and now they have to play at Arizona State Stadium again. So I don't know how Arizona State or Arizona sports fans do it. Hey, they got Dante Stills now, not near legend. But, oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. We're we're getting to different sports now. All right, Tyler, what do you? Yeah. Go ahead. What are you saying, Aaron? Uh, I was just gonna mention the on the Zach Gallon topic that he was traded pretty much one for one for for Jazz Chisholm. Uh, that's crazy to think about. Crazy to think yeah. that he before that trade got away from the Cardinals organization. Um, and I watched an interview with him, and he talked about that Cardinals trade. And, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. I, you guys can look it up for yourself. But he basically said he was in the minors. Minor, minor league ball is very taxing. You play most of the year. You don't get paid much. And during the offseason, they invited him to some, like, camp or something to participate in. It wasn't required. And he didn't do it. He, like, stayed back, and then he got traded, like, the next week. So that's pretty crazy that St. Louis did that. All I hear about with the Cardinals is we missed out on Alcantara. We missed out on Gallon. We missed out on Wisdom. We missed out Arrozo on Adolis Garcia. Rosarena, too. I mean, it, the list goes on. So we traded away generational talents for rentals. Anyways, that's all I see on Twitter all the time. But anyways. <laughs> all right, Tyler, uh, what do you think of the uh, NL Young rankings so far? Polls, I should say. Well, I've um, – quite honestly, I've never been this conflicted on who I want to win because – Here's the thing: when you look, uh, when you look at it, it is such a good mix of pitchers because they're all they kind of have their own, um, except I guess two of them are kind of the same, but all of them basically have their own little different story. Like when you talk about Justin Steele, this kid's a rookie and he's uh, pitching unbelievably well, and you you know it's so cool to root for rookies to have this much success and get a Cy Young and you know their first year in Major League Baseball is amazing. And then you got Mitch Keller, who has been with the Pirates for a while now, and he's never seen this kind of success uh, success before. And, of course, as a Pirates fan, and then I guess as a fan of baseball, you have seen that kind of stuff where you had a guy who um, struggled a little bit, and now he's really showing everybody what he can do. You love rooting for that. And then you got Clayton Kershaw, the future Hall of Famer, who um, – I guess 
at, maybe I was one of them. Maybe you guys weren't, but I didn't think that he had this kind of pitching left in him. I didn't think he was going to be, you know, terrible or anything, but to be, you know, top three in the Cy Young race at uh, his age and uh, is just absolutely amazing. Um, and then you got uh, Gallon and uh, Strider who have already proven themselves as um, top arms in the league. So it is such a fun race to see, and I really don't know who I want to win, uh, who I, you know, want to win because um, there's, uh, there's just so many different kind of storylines you could follow. So I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely up in the air right now, all those different stories. You know, Strider and Gallon and Keller all having breakout years, so that's really a fun race to watch. Uh, let's let's move into the AL. First in the poll is Garrett Cole of the New York New York Yankees. Sorry, that was a Frank Sinatra reference. Uh, 5-0 and uh, record. He has the fourth best. What did you say? Uh, was it? 5-0, uh... <laughs> uh, fourth best ERA in the MLB. He also has the most innings pitched in the MLB with 62 and two-thirds. Uh, Shane McClanahan for the Rays is at the second spot in the poll. He has the best record out of all qualified starting pitchers at 7-0, 2.34 ERA, 61 strikeouts. He he ranks top 10 in uh, hits and strikeouts allowed um, in the league. Uh, at the third spot is Sonny Gray for the Twins. There's actually two Twins pitchers in the top five, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, he has a 4-0 record. He has the best ERA in the MLB, talking about Sonny Gray. Uh, 1.64. Uh, Shohei Otani checks in at the fourth, and you know I want to I want to stop here for a second because I want to talk about the near cycle that Shohei hit the other day. Uh, he, I think, I believe, I looked at it today. I didn't get a chance to look much into it um, due to time, but I think it was just a home run that he needed, right? And it got caught right at the wall. I think that's just mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you look at the video, it's funny because. You watch the the video of you know the uh, last bat and the way it came off his bat, it, it looked like it was gone. And then out of nowhere, um, I don't even know. This is terrible. This, this is how bad the um, the the A's are. I have no idea who their center fielder is. Um, he came out of nowhere, and he caught the ball, and I was like, oh okay, well. But it it was very 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 close. And uh, but honestly. Who cares? It's Shohei Otani. Um, he's good either way, cycle or not. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, did he have close encounters with the cycle? Because the cycle that he came close to the other day was against the Orioles, and he was a double shy. Maybe he was close to two cycles. I, I don't know. I, I thought it was the one recently against the A's that he was talking about. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't pay attention to that one as much. I think he might have been a home run shy. I watched his last at bat against the Orioles three days ago. He needed a, a double. And he singled. Maybe I looked at the wrong one, yeah. He, well, he singled again is what he did. And oh. I think he, he had to win on the mound with five or six strikeouts um, against a, an Orioles team. who Cedric Mullins hit a cycle that, that same series. Uh, so credit to him. I'm a big Cedric Mullins fan. He's pretty versatile and, you know, he can steal bags and all that. So he had a good game as well. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think I think Otani just lays kind of like his second single of the day instead of finding the gap in Camden Yards. You know, the fact that we're confused between two Otani near cycles is just shows how great he is because he started both of those games as well on the mound. And uh, he he probably has the closest chance to be the first ever MLB player to hit a cycle and start a game at the same time. So, You know, I, I saw a stat the other day well, when I was watching the game. He already has hit for the cycle. 
he hit for the cycle like before he popped off. Like I, so he broke in the league in eighteen, and he's mm-hmm. been just like he started out okay, a little rough, couldn't really find the zone very well. And I think in that second season in twenty nineteen, he hit for the cycle. I mean, since twenty one or twenty, he's just been you know he's taken over as the best player in the game. But I believe he hit for the cycle in twenty nineteen, and he's probably the only player to ever do that, and that will ever do that. That, that that's that, that's insane. It just shows the fact of how much of a unicorn he is. Uh, and you know, I'm gonna go into his pitching stats now, so we can get through the rest of the AL. He is five and one. Uh, his ERA is a little boosted. He's had a couple bad outings. He has a 3.23 ERA, but he has the least amount of hits allowed in the MLB with 26. He has the third most strikeouts with 71, and he has the best opponent batting average. I know Tyler loves that stat at .145. And then rounding out the AL polls is Joe Ryan, the other starting pitcher for the Twins, who has a 6-1 and record, and he has the sixth-best ERA in the MLB at 216. So uh, these polls are pretty good. Um, McClanahan, I think, could have jumped Cole recently, especially when you look at the whole body of work. Cole has 20 walks on the season, which is uh, top 10 out of the qualified players. Um, and I think um, – I, I guess there's some debate there. What do you guys think of the uh, the AL polls? You can go ahead, Tyler. Uh, um, well, I was just going to say that um, I don't know. I mean, for uh, as a as a Yankees fan, but also as a baseball fan, and now I understand that there's uh, um, like Aaron. He's not the I guess biggest fan of. Gary Cole, maybe as a person, but as the player, he's um, he's very good. He's exceptional. He's had amazing seasons, and he still doesn't have a Cy Young Award. And you kind of hope that you know that happens, especially especially this year. He's been lights out. But then you have uh, you know on the other end of it, like Sonny Gray, who's not the same pitcher as Gary Cole because he doesn't have the you know the same amount of strikeouts. And whatnot, but he has that, you know, that low ERA, and it's just it comes down to what is going to be taken into account, um, and what is taken most important is it the strikeouts, is it the the wins, is it the batting average against? Because this is, the AL right now, it's a, it's an extremely extremely close, um, extremely close race, and uh, I understand that there's probably people out there and. Um, that say, oh, right now, you know, it's not even close. It's gear cold. But I mean, I, w- I really wouldn't say that yet. Um, there's just so much talent there. So that's the point I was trying to make. It's not far and away, Garrett Cole. I don't think. I think it. I think he yeah. deserves the number one spot in the polls. But I don't think it's far and away him, just because if you look at the full body of work. That, that was my. That was my opinion on that. So I agree with you on that. I agree. I don't think it's far and away, but I do think Cole deserves it. Like you said, obviously, I'm not a big fan of him, but that's just because of you know. His personality, um, he used to use sticky stuff, and he sounds like Kermit the Frog, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I'm just not fan. So do you just like Patrick Mahomes as well? <laughs> I, I respect both of their games, but I can't stand listening to Patrick Mahomes like interviews. I can't, I can't hardly do it. Um, but Sorry. honestly, with the sticky stuff, I've honestly moved on from that because Garrett Cole is such an outstanding, uh, more than exceptional pitcher um, that can strike guys out at a high rate, wins ball games almost every time he touches the rubber. Um, and he's moved on from that. So even as a Red Sox fan, I think I have moved on from that because I know he can do it without that stuff. I don't think he should have ever uh, tapped into that. But I, I do think he's my number one. Um, he just he wins all the time. He strikes guys out. He's consistent. He's not battling injuries. 
Um, but but my client hands my client hand for the raise has been really really good. Um, and I, I if you would have interviewed me and told me Sonny Gray would be top three at this point um, in mid to late May for Cy Young watch that I don't know if I would have believed you on that one. I like Sonny Gray, but ever since he was on the Oakland A's, I you know he was really good with the A's in his young his the young part of his career. And then once he like you know went to Cincinnati with the New York, it just kind of I don't know. It, there was he showed signs of being okay with the Reds, but they were such a bad team, and then he'd get killed every third or fourth start. Um, so I'm glad he's figured it out. But uh, I'd be interested to see if guys like him and Joe Ryan can really stay the course, you know, as we get into June and July. You know, something I, I talked with one of my coworkers at the Wild Things yesterday, and uh, she's a Rays fan, and and she believed that uh, the injury bug is going to hit Shane McClanahan eventually. Because, I mean, we've seen Jeffrey Springs uh, hit the 60-day I.O. We saw Rasmussen hit the 60-day I.O. And we know that Ray's rotation is very good. Uh, and McClanahan is, of course, you know, shoving the ball right now. But I guess, uh, do you think, I, I guess if you had to pick one, I, I'm going to make this a little fun game. If you had to pick one in the A.O. and the N.L., who do you think falls out of this list and out of contention? I don't think it's going to be Shane McClanahan. But I think um, – it could be someone like a Joe Ryan or a Sonny Gray. I kind of agree with you on that, Aaron. But I guess the reason I bring this up is because of the thoughts that were swirling about McClanahan and the uh, Rays injuries. So, yeah, if you guys had to pick one that you think would fall out of these polls and would not be back in contention, if I, I don't want to speculate, but injuries or anything like that. But what do you guys think? Yeah, it, that's, that's one thing you can't – you just can never predict injuries unless you're talking about – like Jacob deGrom, unfortunately, you can pretty much predict that he's going to get injured. He's going to mm-hmm. find his spot on the aisle a couple of times per season. This is a sad reality of a player like that. But for the most part, you cannot predict injuries. Um, I meant so, based on performance most, mostly. Yeah, yes. yeah, I don't know. But like what you said, I kind of just like feel like, I don't know, McClanahan has dealt with some stuff. He's he's not – I don't think he's ever had Tommy John. Um but yeah, with springs and stuff like that, it seems like some of them drop like flies. But performance based, I don't think McClanahan will will drop out if he stays healthy. Lefty arm, very good, strikes guys out, and he's on a winning ball club. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't know all. I don't know that much about Joe Ryan analytically, historically. Um, so I, I don't know. But he's had really really good stats this year. You know, ever since he's on the A's, Sonny Gray tends to be good for a while, and then goes out there and starts to get blown up a little bit. So if that happens this year, mid-season, late-season, I, I don't think I'd be surprised. Yeah, my oh, pick man. is definitely Sonny Gray uh, in the AL, too. Tyler, what do you got? Well, um, I don't know. I, I guess it, if someone's going to drop out now, it will probably be Joe Ryan because the first four guys there have been you know, unbelievable. I mean, it's hard to compete with uh, Cole – and uh, Shane McClendon, and then you got Shohei, too, and, you know, I mean, Sonny Gray as well. But those three, I mean, it's going to be tough to pivot into the top three if you're Joe Ryan, you know what I mean? And then I, I would say for NL, if someone's going to drop out of it, it's probably going to be Justin Steele, only because I'm not saying that he's going to, you know, fall off and suddenly he's going to have a bad year, but task, like, a rookie to have, like, you know, keep this up the whole year. I mean, you're a rookie, you know, you're still trying to yep. figure it out in the league. That's a tough ask. And um, do I think that he's going to continue to be as good now? I, I don't think so, but I don't think he's going to, 
you know, be, you know, terrible. You know, he's like I said, I don't think he's going to fall off either. But um, he, he'll probably um, tip out of the top five. On, I was thinking the same thing. Only because Steele's a rookie, I was thinking that would be the really the only reason he would drop out. I mean, you can't expect uh, for a first-year guy to come in and have continued performance among the best in the MLB. That's a tough, really tough ask, like you said. So, yeah, I agree with you on the Justin Steele pick 100%. Yeah, I think I would tend to as well. You never know, though. I mean, Spencer Strider was a – I mean, I don't think he came up – I think he was like a short season rookie last year or maybe half season. Um, he wasn't on their opening day roster, I don't believe. And he was really good last year. Maybe he was on their opening day roster, but he was a rookie last year. And Or is he still a rookie this year? I, I okay. think he's considered a second year this year, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. His debut was last year, and I don't believe it was on the opening day club. And he was really good from the get-go, and obviously – um, so I would argue that this isn't even really a breakout season. I mean, obviously, he's taken more strides. He's becoming better than what he was last year. But nah, it's more strides. Ah, nice. Yeah, strides. No pun intended. But he did really start from the gun really, really well. So may- maybe Steele is one of those guys. But, I mean, Spencer Strider strikes out guys with his stuff at an alarming rate that few in the MLB can do. He brings the heat. He's got really good stuff. So I don't personally know Justin Steele's pitch repertoire and his spin rate and his velocity. But, you know, he's starting off good um, with a staff that, you know, Marcus Stroman's been okay, but he's been kind of in eh, lately. Jamison and Tyone, eh. <laughs> so, uh, And then that Wesnowski guy, or I, I don't even think I pronounced that right. He started off good, and then he got sent down to the minors. So for the Cubs, they've Smiley. Been, Smiley. Yeah, Smiley's Smiley good, but can you count on him? He's been a yeah, very been. average pitcher over the course of his long career. Um, but he's pitched well. He's overachieved this year. So Steele will definitely need to come out for the second half of the season and keep up what he's doing if the Cubs want to, you know, gain ground in the NL Central. So we've got a lot of NL Central topics to finish out the show here, and I save this stuff uh, for the end here because we have another kind of controversial topic that's been uh, around the Cardinals organization. So, of course, the beginning of the season has been a little rough for St. Louis. Uh, as of right now, they're on a six on – Six out of their last seven, they've won, and uh, the bats have been hot. Nolan Arenado has been on fire, and we'll talk about him later. Um, he may be in running for one of my awards. But the, the controversial topic I want to talk about was Wilson Contreras, uh, the catcher that we signed from the Cubs uh, in the offseason. Because I, I, it was just a, a really weird situation because I don't know why the management would just call him out nationally, like towards the press, and be like, "Yeah, where he's taking a break from catcher, we're moving him into the outfield or DH role," and that it's just it's just really weird when you paid him so much money to come in the off season to be that catcher to replace Yadier Molina. But it was just I, I I didn't really agree with the management decisions to really call him out like that, and now he's returned back behind the plate. But I just want to hear you guys' opinion on that because it was just a really weird situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it the Cardinals are a historically winning organization. You know, they're always competing for championships. They won in 2011, 2006. They won a lot of championships with the, they won plenty of championships in the 60s and 70s. Um, but I think their management right now is terrible. I, I don't know what is wrong with that. Um, Ollie Marmol. Uh, the beginning of the season when we talked about him calling out O'Neill instead of having an in-house conversation. That was the first real red flag for me, and this is just baffling because, 
I like Contreras. You know, I've always kind of rooted for the the Cubbies with my dad, especially winning that 2016 World Series. And, and he's a, he was a pretty integral part of that. And they went out and paid him five years, $87.5 million for a catcher. Listen, you have Yadier Molina for all those years, what, 20 years or something like that? And 20 years, yeah. One of the greatest defensive backstops of all time and productive at the plate and a leader. And he throws guys out all the time. You're not going to get that back. And I think they knew that. But when you invest that much money into somebody, like we're in May and you're like, oh, well, no, the the staff is not good. He's not calling good games behind there. So we're going to relieve him of his catching duties. It's May. And you just paid him $87 million. And this is my point. Um, maybe maybe he wasn't the best at calling. But like nowadays, you do pitch calm and all that. Like half the time pitchers can call their own pitches with the press of a button. And you got Jack Flaherty, who's three and four, with a 5-2-4 ERA. Miles Michaelis. 491 ERA. Steven Matz is terrible. 0 and 4 for the 5-6-2. Don't even Jordan. mention Steven Matz in my presence. He, he's 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 terrible. Jordan Montgomery, I think, will get it figured out because his 421 ERA is not horrible, but it's not great, and he's two and six. I mean, and you're gonna pin all that on Wilson Contreras. Come on. Uh, and he's been doing just fine since they gave him his catching duties back. He's not an outfielder. Um, and you don't want to play him at DH if you don't have to. I, I just am baffled by the Cardinals organization and their impatience and their inability to have in-house conversations instead of just immediately flocking towards the media. I, I, yeah. I would not care if Marmol got fired tomorrow, but obviously they're playing good ball. Um, it's probably more problems than just Ollie Marmol, let's be honest. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say much on it because um, I don't, I don't understand it at all, like a lot of people. Um, Aaron said just about everything. I don't know how you spend all that money on a on a catcher and you're all excited about him and you say all these nice things and the fan base is all happy. And then, you know, we fast forward to now and then it's just like, oh, you know, what, I, I, how, you, how you treat him like that. And then, you know, it's just, I don't understand, like, especially for – like for you, Zach, it must be um, quite tough to um, kind of back your not not like right now you guys are playing well, but to back the whole like management in the front office, um, it must be tough. And I'd be hiding under my uh, my uh, my my pillow there, all embarrassed because um, I don't I really don't get it. It's well, ridiculous. I have no favors to give the management, and that I, I mean that as Marmel. I. I I have no connection to him, and I think that he has had a uh, a poor managing – what's the word I'm looking for? He's managed the beginning of the season very poorly, and I think he hasn't gotten any favors from the pitching, the starting staff, you know. Uh, like Aaron said, he read off all the ERAs. All those were over four, weren't they? Were they all over four? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So all those ERAs over four, I mean, it's just it, – it's been a bad stretch um, whenever he – and then and then he goes to the media and bashes guys like he bashed O'Neill, he bashed Contreras. He and then he tried to frame the Contreras thing as, oh, he needs a break from catching duties. He needs to take a break from being a catcher. Oh. And and it just it was so weird. And then immediately he's thrown right back in and he has two good outings. One with uh, you guys are not going to know this name. Matthew. Lib- Matthew. Lib- Matthew. Yeah, yeah. He's a prospect. He uh, made a good start the other day and. Yeah, I he had a good start the other day. I have a lot of faith in that guy, so maybe look out for him, I guess. He had a good outing with him, Michaelis, and uh, Wainwright, who made his first start yesterday. 
So I, I don't. I, Marmel tried to frame it as he needed a break, and I, did, I it was just so weird the whole situation. I didn't like how Marmel did it, and I don't really like how he's done this season either. So weird, and like the Cardinal, like you're not gonna be able to replace Yadier Molina. You can't no. do it. You can't do it if you wanted to. If you tried to get two catchers and piece them together to recreate Molina, it's not gonna happen. Contreras, like the the two, I mean, like what the catchers that you could get were Contreras and what Sean Murphy, and they tried to get Sean Murphy. I think Sean Murphy's been playing above his head this year. Obviously, if you look back at it, maybe they're like, oh well, we should have got Murphy. But like, look at Contreras. I mean, four different seasons with twenty plus homers as a catcher. That's very, very impressive to go four seasons with twenty plus home runs. He's driven in fifty plus runs in five seasons of his eight year career, which is also impressive. And two of those fifty RBI seasons were more than 50, 64 and seventy four. He's productive at the plate. Obviously, he's having a slow start. I get it. His average is probably down. But for catchers, like if you're getting two fifty and the guy's driving in some runs, like. That in nowadays baseball, like the, the in, with catching situations, that that's fine, and historically, Contreras has proven to be able to do that. Um, he had a thirty-one percent caught stealing rate last year, which is not like top of the league, but it's also not bad too. So I just didn't understand why he even got stripped of his duties at all. It just doesn't make much sense to me. It's like a lot of fans were speculating, oh, is he hurt or is he upset or like talking about uh, uh, Contreras. But obviously I don't think it was that because Contreras wanted to get back behind the plate. So I think it was just a management decision that went bad. And it it's a weird situation, but obviously it hasn't correlated to anything recently because the Cardinals have been doing well. I, I wanted to throw out this nugget for you guys so you can think about this. Um, the Cardinals have the fourth worst record in the NL but they have a positive run differential at plus 17. It, wow. It's just it's just such a weird a weird season for them. They've been going on a a season of streaks, a losing streak and then a winning streak, losing streak, winning streak. Well, right now they're on a winning streak or at least winning most of their most recent games. They've won eight out of their last 10. They finally put some decent starts on the mound. Like I said, Wainwright came back yesterday and had a quality start for the most part, against the bullpen was really what gave up eight runs to the Dodgers yesterday. But I think the two players I wanted to highlight that has been a key to the Cardinals' recent success is Nolan Arnato, of course, and Nolan Gorman. But Arnato just hit his 1,000th RBI, and he didn't even know it, which I think is hilarious. Uh, and he also has a home run in six of the last seven games. That goes all the way back to the last series against, I believe, it was the Red Sox. Like that goes all the way back to the Red Sox series. And uh, Nolan Gorman has kind of solidified himself as an everyday starter. He's a young gun, but he's been batting 371 over the last 15 games. So it, it's been a good stretch for the Cardinals. And I think a culmination of all those things has led to their recent success. Yeah, all it takes is taking a trip to Fenway. It seems like over the years that always <laughs> happens. When a bad team comes to Fenway, it seems like they always go in and sweep the Red Sox, so like especially like NL teams. Pirates did it early in the season. We're like, oh, the Pirates aren't good. Obviously, it turned out to have a good start, but so they come in and they sweep the Red Sox and Fenway. Cardinals are the worst team in the NL. They come in and Arenado finds his swing, of course, and homers in every single game. And yeah, it just it seems like it just takes a trip to Fenway. But yeah, I mean, I, I knew they weren't going to be the worst team in the NL Central for long. I mean, I guess they still are, but they're on the come up. Um, it, all it took was Arenado finding a swing, Goldschmidt. Um, 
and the offense. You just I knew didn't the even offense. Mention Goldsmith, yeah, well, you knew the offense at some point was going to break through, but they still have to get pitching figured out. They need Wainwright to be reliable and pitch innings, which is going to be tough. Where he's already started the season on the IL, and he's getting up there in age as well. And the other guys are just you got to get something better at, consistently out of Michaelis and Flaherty. But I, you know, I guess they're on an upward trajectory right now. They just got to show me a little bit more. Well, one guy, one play y'all forgot to mention is uh, Lars Nudbar. I'm pretty sure in his past seven games or something like that, he's hitting um, like in well above 300 or something like that. So, you know, you mix in Gorman, Arenado, Goldschmidt, and uh, Nudbar, you know, it, I don't think it matters. Uh, well, it matters a little bit, but they're proving that it doesn't really matter that your pitching doesn't hold up as long as, you know, those four guys are uh, playing well. Um, you're going to have some success, and that's what's happening. Yeah, you know, and if you look at that, two home runs last night too. So I mean, it's just it's 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 been a good stretch for really all the batters. They've all find, found some kind of heat, I guess. Go ahead. If you look at these little like last seven day stats, I mean, the top of the list is like you said, Arenado. Last seven days, he's batting four fifteen, six homers and fifteen odd guys. And then you got Judge at two, and then look at three. You got Nolan Gorman, like you said. Last seven days, he's batting 500 with four home runs and 12 RBIs. Um, and then down the, I mean, you got Tommy Edmond at 13 too. So they're playing some hot baseball. You knew the bats were going to wake up at some point. So following Cardinals Twitter, which, like I've told you guys before, is kind of a death trap sometimes whenever they're losing, but it's really fun whenever they're winning. Yeah, uh, no, a lot of fans, especially, have been advocating for Nolan Gorman to become an everyday starter, and I, I there's no reason why he shouldn't be at this point because, in the, over the last five games, he's had two walk off. Well, I shouldn't say walk off, but go ahead hits to put the Cardinals ahead in games where they're needing to win games, obviously, to come back. So I think that he kind of solidified himself in that role as an everyday starter, and guys like Donovan should be playing. I mean. This goes back to the management. I, I hate to do this again, but it goes back to the management. You need to be playing your best players in big games, especially on the first game of a series or the second game of a series. Those guys need to be playing. Like last night against the Dodgers, everyone played, and the Cardinals won 16-8, to eight, and they hit seven home runs at home for the first time in 83 years. Jeez. Is, yeah. So it's just you got to play your best guys, and I think that goes back to management sometimes. Well, Tyler said it a minute ago talking about if he were a Cardinals fan, he would just kind of be beside himself because of management. And I think I would be too. And I can talk about the Red Sox and I like the management of Alex Cora, but if you go further with management, still management, general manager and owners and Tom Warner, John Henry and GM Hein Bloom are kind of just, they've kind of destroyed the team. Um, and you can still be a fan at heart and always root for them. And, you know, the Red Sox still have a decent product out there, but, at the same time, you can still criticize management when they need criticize. Obviously, for the Cardinals, it seems like the criticism, a lot of it may need to go at this point to Marmol because he just cannot stop going to the media first. I think on, it's mostly to Marmol rather than the GM in the front yeah. office. I think well, it's mostly Marmol. Right, because he's opinion. just not being professional, and I agree with you. He's just not being professional going to the media. That's just not how you be a good skipper. And as a Red Sox fan, Obviously, Cora is not without sin all the time, but he, I think, is a respectable manager and players like him, and he wins games. But you can still criticize what needs to be criticized. And for me, that's that's ownership slash GMs who put the product on the field. Um, and 
you know, going forward, I think I think probably the Cardinals have done a good job in upper management, um, putting good products on the field, but Marmo's got to lead them at this point. So we're going to flip the script for our next team because uh, Aaron brought up a topic a few days ago, and we wanted to talk about the fall of the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were leading the NL. I think they might still be leading the NL Central. I, I, I didn't check the standings exactly. But they're, over the last in second, game, okay, they're in second. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they have a three and seven record over the last ten games. The pitching has been pretty bad. Three point eight four ERA over the last fifteen days, uh, and the, the bats are kind of in the mid pack. I looked at the stats today; they're in the fifteenth range in batting average. All their batting stats are about in the fifteen to ten or twenty range. So really, just mid pack. And, you know, talking about their most recent games, they got swept by the Blue Jays and the Rays, which are obviously two great AL teams. But then they lost two out of three of the Rockies. They lost two out of three of the Orioles, which even getting one win there, I think, is good for them. And they split two games against the Tigers. So I think I think <laughs> Mitch Keller has really been, the in his few starts over the last two weeks, he has been the best thing for the Pirates. But outside of that, it's all kind of cooled off a little bit. Well, when you look at it, I'm pretty sure – the start of May here, they've only had like three or four wins. It's it's really bad, but it's not the pitching. It's the uh, it really isn't. If you, I understand you mix in a couple of bad starts or whatnot, but it's the hitting. If you look at their stats of recently, there's just a ton of players who are barely hitting over Mendoza line, and it's just especially in that that infield over there, they cooled down tremendously, and there's just little little production. Um, and uh, that's the reason why they're uh, not playing well, and they lost that uh, first-place lead. You know, to your point, Tyler, there's only three players in the Pirates over the last two weeks that are batting over 250. And I know 250 is still a decent mark in Major League Baseball, but at the rate they were going, I, I think it's a, it's a big change, huge change. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, I as a Pirates fan, I wouldn't get too concerned for a long season. Um, yeah, this, cool. ha- this could happen to anybody. I mean – the Rays, who knows? The Rays could lose, you know, a, a ton of games. Uh, you know, they can go on a bad losing streak. You never know. Um, it's part of the game. But, yeah, they, they do need to pick it up. The bats have completely disappeared. And um, But going back to, like, the pitching, it's really not the pitching. Um, it's just the, the bats have gone away for some reason. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think with the Pirates – I knew they weren't going to be that good for that long, but I can still respect the fact that they have started so well. They've played well and they've hit well. Um, they started hitting well and they've pitched very, very as well. Um, but for me, I think it, it was, they were winning so much and then they had to go to Tampa for a big series with the Rays and they were, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, it's a world series matchup and kind of half joking <laughs> at Ryan. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what our buddy Ryan said. He, had it penciled down as a World Series matchup. But anyway, I mean, facing uh, a team like that, because in the beginning of the season, I, I feel like they didn't have great competition. Um, I think they caught – like even when we went to PNC, they caught the Dodgers when the Dodgers weren't playing very good, kind of feed it off the Nationals and Reds and some other teams. So once they played the Rays, they got swept. And then they had to go and turn around and play the Blue Jays. And I went to one of those games where Chris Bassett dominated – Got swept again, so I think them playing those twenty-seven kind of, straight court scoreless for Chris Bassett. I'll talk about him later. Hmm. Oh, but, oh, okay. Um, but 
timeout on Chris Bass. I had the chance to pick him up in fantasy the day before I went to PNC. I was like, nah, uh, eh. And then he goes there, and I have to watch with my own eyes as he like gets like 40 points in fantasy. But, nice job. But back to the Pirates, I think playing the Rays, playing those good AL East teams, playing the Rays and the Blue Jays really just tanked their confidence. And I, I think I think June is going to be kind of a prove me month, prove me uh, month for them, in, in my opinion, because I just I don't see them staying the course as a top team in the NL Central. Um, and starting so good in April and early May is great for them, great for the fan base. And the game I went to, there was a, a lot of fans at PNC Park, and that's great to see. Want want them to keep it up, but I just don't know if they will. So for the final segment of our show today, I owe you guys a fun segment next week because I didn't write one down today. <laughs> so I owe you guys keep me keep me uh, posted on that. But uh, as we do in every episode, we're going to go through our weekly awards. We give out the Golden Arm Award, of course, for the best pitcher over the last two weeks since we missed last week. The Wheelhouse Award goes to the best batter over the last two weeks. And the Bright Lights Award goes to our best team since our last episode. So first of all, I'm going to send it over to Aaron for his Golden Arm Award pick. And you might have hinted on this a little bit, but who do you got? Yeah, so I'm just going to stick with Chris Bassett. I mean, um, I just can't get over what he's done the last three games. I was never much of a believer in him. Um, then the game I went to on May 5th against Pittsburgh, who was hot at the time. I mean, they had just got swept by the Rays, but they had won a lot of their games as of that that time. And he went seven innings, four hits, shut them out in that in that seven inning span with five strikeouts. And then he turned around and did the same thing to the Atlanta Braves, but he went the entire game, a nine inning shutout, two hits allowed with eight strikeouts. And then when you thought, like, okay, well, let's come back down to earth. It's Chris Bassett against the Yankees on the 17th this past, what, Wednesday? Seven innings, three hits, no earned runs with seven strikeouts against a Yankees team that's starting to find their stride. Aaron Judge is back in the lineup. Uh, Aaron Judge goes yard against the Blue Jays every single day. Um, And I feel like the Yankees, I don't know what that series was, but did they take three or four? I felt like they dominated that series, so for Bassett to do that – and to do that in three straight starts, he's got to be my goal in mind. Um, so for mine, I'm picking uh, Bryce Miller of the uh, the Mariners. And um, if you don't know who that is, well, uh, he's a, I did not know who that um, is before the show. Whenever you sent me the text message about it, so. <laughs> yeah, he's um, it's actually a very uh, a very good uh, developing story over there um basically he's had three starts and each of those starts have counted as quality starts and if you don't know what a you know a quality start is it basically means if you are a pitcher and you go at least six innings without giving up um more than three earned runs a game that counts as a quality start and then his first three starts in the majors he you know he has three quality starts which is unbelievable to think about and on top of that He's made some history as well. He's um, in his first three starts, he's only allowed um, like eight total base runners or something like that. And that's been the lowest since um, 1901, uh, which is crazy to think about. Um, He's 2-0 and he's got a uh, like a 0.47 ERA. And um, on top of that, in 19 innings pitch, he struck out 18 batters. So um, for uh, a Mariners team who's finding themselves at the bottom of the uh, the AL West right now. This must be uh, 
very fun to watch. Um, and I hope he keeps it up because he is a uh, he is fun to watch. He is fun. For my Golden Arm Award, I plucked out Mitch Keller for the Pirates. Uh, he's been 2-0 in his last two starts, of course. He had one complete game shutout. He has a zero ERA in the last two weeks, a .145 batting average and 21 strikeouts in two starts, which I think is really notable for him. He's really broke out this season, and I think he's <laughs> – we talked about the bats of the Pirates a lot, and I don't think the pitching has been their main issue, but he has been one of their bright spots. So I think uh, he deserves a golden arm this week. So now we will move on to our wheelhouse award, and uh, Aaron, I'll start off with you. Who do you got? This one's the easiest pick in the game, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know how uh, – when we were prepping for the shows, the, the guys sent the uh, their picks early, and, and nobody picked Ronald Acuna Jr. And I was like, uh, are you guys all right? Ronald Acuna Jr., he is right now the best player in baseball. We know, we've seen it since he broke in the league in 18, that he is going to be one of those top talent guys that if he's not injured, that he's going to be one of the best. And that 18 class produced Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, and Otani. And Otani, as we said a million times, is a unicorn. But he's kind of been grouped with Ronald, or Ronald Acuna has been grouped with Juan Soto in this kind of outfield battle, which one's going to turn out better. And I was kind of always of the group that was like, oh, I kind of bought into Juan Soto, bought a lot of his baseball cards. Um, but Ronald Acuna is just amazing. He's hitting 345, which is second to only Luis Arise in the NL. 11 home runs, which is tied for fifth in the NL. 27 RBIs and 18 stolen bags. He's doing it all, and that's an NL leading 18 stolen bags. And that's, I mean, that's the season perspective. But if we're going based off the last, what, two weeks, let's go last 15 days, he's batting 319 with a 418 on base plus slugging, five home runs. Eight RBIs with four steals, and he's got four straight games with a homer, and that's against the powerful Texas Rangers, who have a really good record, standing atop the AL or near the top of the AL, and they're ahead of the AL West. And he had one against the Blue Jays. And if you guys have been watching those home runs, they are tanks. When he went down to Globe Park, where the Mountaineers are going to play here, what next week? He hit two straight days of second deck shots, and both pitches were below the strike zone. He went down and like golf balled it and just tanked it. And then I think one in um, in Toronto was to completely like dead center. He's so fun to watch. And right now he's just far and away, I think the best player in the NL. Um, for me, I'm going to pick uh, Luis Robert. And I, I really like this pick because he's a very interesting um, player for the White Sox. Uh, but I'll, I'll get into that before I after I go into stats here. But anyway, he's past fourteen games he's found quite the uh the power uh surge. He's hit um six home runs, twelve RBIs and he's hitting four hundred and uh, he almost has a um I think a nine hundred on base percentage or something like that. So he's been on base and the reason why I said it's a very interesting um player is because he got uh he debuted in like uh, 2020, I'm pretty sure, and he's never really um, gone off the right foot to start the seasons. He's never played 100 games in a year, and um, you know this is a guy that the White Sox uh, management and the fans have been hoping for him to play a full season and to really show his full potential. And I understand that we're not at 100 games yet, um, so you hope he keeps it up. But um, for a struggling White Sox team. 
uh, you know, it's good to see that he's uh, hitting well. So hopefully he uh, can play a full season. I like those picks a lot, definitely. I, and I may have went in a biased direction for my pick, and I texted you guys about it earlier, but I'm going to go with Nolan Arenado for the Cardinals. And I simply went for this because of the milestones he's reached recently, how well the team's played, but how well he has bat with power recently. He has six home runs in the last seven games. He got three straight home runs in three straight games against the Red Sox in that sweep. He just eclipsed his 1,000th career RBI. And the Cardinals have won six of their last seven as well. So he, he, just some more stats. He's been absolutely on fire. 327, batting average, 17 hits, seven home runs, 20 RBIs in the last 12 games total. So like Aaron said earlier in the podcast, I think he kind of found his bat at the right time. And he's been leading this Cardinals squad uh, back to a better record so far and of, and of recent. So uh, that was my pick. Now we're going to move on to our final award. And it is the Bright Bright Lights Award. Aaron, who do you got? Uh, it pains me a little bit to do it, but I'm going to go with the Houston Astros. Um, just based off recency, um, you know, they're 24 and 19, which is not great, especially for Astros standards. They won the World Series last year. They're always in contention to be the, the best team. Um, so 24 and 19 is not great, but I'm really going based off the last like week or two here. They've won seven out of their last eight. They just swept the Cubs. Um, and they just won before that. They won two straight road series against the Angels and the White Sox. I know those aren't the, the best teams, but the Angels, I believe, have a winning record, and we know the talent that they have offensively. Um, and I was watching part of this game. Uh, they um, when they swept the Cubs, they on Wednesday they were down six to one. They came back, um, made it six three, but they're still down three runs going into the ninth. Two run homer by Jake Myers of all people, and then they come back. Um, with a two-run uh, game-winning walk-off single by Kyle Tucker. thought that was really cool to watch. And uh, I think the big part for me with uh, with Astros is, is Alex Bregman right now. So you're without Jose Altuve, um, and you're without Michael Brantley. So Alex Bregman on the year has been pretty quiet. I mean, 224 with six homers and 21 RBIs. He started off the season way worse than that, abysmal. Um, and in, in his last seven days, he's – 333 on average um, with two home runs and five ribbies. Um, you're getting some production right now from Jeremy Pena with six homers and 22 ribbies, Kyle Tucker as well, and Jordan Alvarez. And I, I think what's impressive about them, they're doing this without Altuve, and they went out and got Jose Abreu, and he is awful. I mean, he is by, far and away the worst player on my fantasy team. 220, zero home runs. He has zero home runs, which is wow. unbelievable, hard to believe uh, for a player like him because – and I believe like he's on he's one of the only players like him, Andrew Benatendi, and a couple of other players are the only people without a home run in the amount of at bats they've gotten. Um, can't drive in runs, and yet the Astros are still winning. I think that's pretty impressive. Now my my pick's a little weird because I'm picking the Rockies, and it's a little weird because when you look at their stats, they're not not terrible, and they're also it's not the best. They're kind of like the middle of the pack. They're hitting like 264 as a team and their ERA is in the mid to to high threes. The only reason why I picked them and I went a little more than two weeks, not by much. I mean we're not that far into May. But they have been one of the, the better teams in May. They've they're ten and five to start out the month of May and um they they won the series against the Pirates and the Reds, which I know 
probably isn't the uh, the toughest task, but the Rockies aren't a, a good team either. I mean, they're at the bottom of the um, the NL West. So for them to uh, to be have this fast start, uh, the start of May is very good for them. And then you got you know offensive production from Chris Bryant, who's playing exceptionally well, which is good to see. He's one of my favorite baseball players. And then um, you mix it in with the occasional uh, good start from your starters and uh, good bullpen. Daniel Bard, he's back um, from his um, IL stint. He's pitching exceptionally well. And, you know, I don't know if they'll, uh, you know, keep this up. Depends on, you know, matchups and whatnot. But uh, for them to see them play this well uh, this early in May is uh, good to see. You know, once, Tyler, you sent out that you were doing the Rockies, I looked at their schedule, and I actually hadn't noticed how well they've done in the month of May. So I, I definitely agree with that pick. And they've been they've been doing a good job against some decent teams in the month of May. So uh, for my award, the final award of the day, uh, I am giving it to the Texas Rangers. And I, I have one knock against them. But first, I want to talk about their record. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They won one game against the Braves, which is a tough task, especially Aaron talked about how crucial that series was but they won two out of three against the angels and mariners they won three out of four against the a's i know not much there but they do lead the al west as of right now with 26 and 17 record they have a plus 87 run differential and a player like adolis garcia has played like a perennial all-star in this last Mm -hmm. stretch of the season so i think that's really all culminated to make them a good squad so far in the month of may they have the fourth best batting average in the league at 274 over the last two weeks third most RBIs and runs scored. But the only knock I have against the squad is they have the league worst strikeouts with 133 over the last two weeks. So they strike out a lot. They hit for a lot of power. You know, I feel like I see an Adolis Garcia home run every day whenever I open Twitter. So uh, I think think it's a good squad, and I think they have a chance to really put some games together. Yes, uh, Adolis Garcia has been my most consistent bat. Uh, for fantasy and, and he is I mean he is the RBI leader in the MLB right now with 46 and uh, below him is is Rafael Devers and he's six behind him uh, that is crazy to see he's he's hitting with a lot of power but he strikes out uh, Josh Young from Texas Tech has been very good but he strikes out too Corey Seager just uh, got back into the lineup but he will strike out too I mean they're a team that strikes out um, and they're a team without DeGrom right now but they are definitely maybe overachieving, but I think they're just really, I think they're a talented team and I want to see if they can do it going forward. I love, love, love the success of Nathan Eovaldi. Still bitter that we didn't go back and re-sign him as the Red Sox. I don't know why you couldn't have. He's, you would have paid him some, but you wouldn't have to break the bank for him. He had done a lot for the Red Sox. It made no sense to not re-sign him, but I love his success and, and I want to see if they can, you know, keep it up. I think that's a good pick. So unless you guys have anything further, that's all I have for today. You guys have anything, any parting thoughts to give the listeners? Any parting thoughts? Uh, hopefully the West Virginia Mountaineers take at least one out of the two and take the regular <laughs> season, uh, Big 12 championship, and then hopefully they can translate that um, maybe recent success into uh, succeeding where Dulles Garcia and Corey Seager play. Hopefully they take a, a tournament title and hopefully they can finish strong because um, – what what this team what that team has done this season is I mean it's it's so cool and uh, a lot of people are now tuning into it and mm-hmm. you know if you haven't tuned into that team yet then I, I say do it they're very exciting you're gonna have more opportunities to watch them as we head into postseason play I think that's the best thing you can hope for at the end of the season so 
Thank you all for listening, and thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible. Of course, my name is Zach Anderson. Joined alongside me is Tyler Pacino. Aaron Park. <clears throat> <laughs> all right, that's all we've got for today, and uh, we'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you.